Hello there and welcome to In Your Own Kin. I'm your host Charlotte. I'm a lover of great food, sometimes artist, sleep-in advocate, storyteller, mama and postpartum professional in Nam, Melbourne. Each week I'll be chatting to families about their journey into parenthood, the grandest of adventures. Parenting is beautiful, messy, sparkly, hard work. You were never meant to do this alone. It's time to get comfy in your own kin. In Your Own Kin acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land where you are listening to today's episode. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and recognise that the telling of stories has happened here since time immemorial. In Your Own Kin is recorded by the Birurung on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has not and is not ceded and it remains stolen. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In this week's episode, Emily shares her parenthood journey and adventures with her husband Tom and their children Jimmy and Jack. Emily speaks with such warmth and generosity about her postpartum experience, sharing both the wondrous joy and dark moments. Emily speaks openly and honestly about sleep deprivation and her journey with postpartum anxiety and shares strategies that helped her navigate this challenging time. Emily's story will have you giggling and give you prickly eyes. It's such a beauty. This week is World Breastfeeding Week and in today's episode, Em and I talk about the ups and downs of feeding. Now, we recorded this last week before I realized the theme was shared responsibility, but oof, it really highlights just how important support is. If you chose to breast or chest feed, if you found it easy, if you found it hard, if you chose to bottle feed, if you pump, if you desperately wanted to breast or chest feed and it didn't work out, if you fed for longer or shorter than you wanted to, we see you and we hear you and you're doing a great job. Here's Em. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today, Em. It's such a delight to be seeing your face. (laughs) So nice to see you as well. I've been hearing your voice and I just love your voice, but now I get to see your face too. (laughs) (laughs) That's very kind. Em, would you like to let the listeners know a little bit about yourself, who's in your family and where you're living at the moment? So I'm Emily and I live with my husband, Tom, my five-year-old Jimmy and my nearly two-year-old Jack. And we live in Preston, in Nam or Melbourne. Uh, But both me and my partner are from New Zealand originally. So yeah, we're Kiwis living in Australia. Amazing. At what point did you move over, Em? We moved in 2010. So we've been here a pretty long time. Yeah, feels like home. Well, it feels like kind of like we've got two homes really, but yeah. um, you know, we we we've, we almost left a few years ago. We even told our parents that we were coming back and of course everyone was so excited and then oh. <laughs> we've been on a holiday there. We both came back and we were both kind of like having these doubts and we had a few drinks one night and we were like, so you know that moving home to New Zealand thing? And Tom was like, I don't want to go. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to go either. <laughs> Oh yeah, we're still here. <laughs> oh my gosh. And what brought you over, Em? Well, initially we were going to be traveling. Uh, I think we were going to go around like Europe and UK and stuff, but we just hung out with one of our friends uh, when he was back in New Zealand and he convinced us to move here. And the next week we bought tickets. So we've always been kind of impulsive with big life decisions. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we kind of just went with it and it worked out. Talk to me about what makes your heart sing, M. Talk to me about all of the things that you love. For me, I guess uh, originally, like way back since I've been a kid, I've always been a really creative person. Mm. So I really uh, value that, especially bringing that into my parenting and like teaching my kids. I'm one of those parents that like, you know, let my kids get paints out and cook with me and 
Yeah. yeah. And I know that is like uh, really not everyone's favorite thing to do with their kids. But for me, <laughs> like I really enjoy that process and I love like painting with them or like using clay to make stuff with them. So yeah, one day I would like to get back to painting just for myself. But at the moment, there doesn't seem like much time or space for that. Yeah. And also I think, I mean, I'm a twin, so I've always had someone with me, I guess, from when I was in the womb. Yeah. And something about that, my mum's also a twin as well. And so I've always seen this like super, super, super close relationship. And even though I don't live in the same country as my twin sister, like we're still really connected. So yeah, I think the word connection, like that's always been something that's so important to me. And I think as I as I get older has become, you know, one of the values that just seems to be top of the list. So yeah. yeah. Um, connection and community for sure is so important. Absolutely. And just finding the time to carve out what community actually looks like for you, right? I think that's such a an important part of the parenthood journey. Yeah, totally. And I think it's one of those words that's kind of thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. community. And it's like, what does that actually look like? I think a lot of people think like community, like village, like how we used to live. But, mm-hmm. you know, we live in such a different way in such a different world. And I think community is like, to me, it's like a feeling that I get, you know, mm-hmm. and it can look like so many different things. It can look like, you know, dropping off food to someone's house, you know, like getting into your friend's bed and like going to sleep or having a rest. Like, you know, not always having to be kind of on when you're with yes. your friends. And just like that deeper connection with people, I think being vulnerable is such a huge part of what I value as community. You know, it's like having those deeper, more vulnerable connections with people. Mm. And to me, that's what community looks like and feels like. Oh, and it's such a precious thing. I think once you actually find those people, those people that you can be completely like no bullshit with, oh my gosh, Mm. it's Mm. such a magical feeling. Mm. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And it takes a lot of courage, I think. You really do have to kind of be vulnerable, which can be scary. But I think that opens up the door for other people to be vulnerable and, you know, to really let them in. Oh, my gosh, yes. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about life pre-parenthood. Talk to me about life when it was you and Tom. I was working as a graphic designer and also as a nanny, and I would kind of flip-flop between the two, like I'd be working as a designer for a few years and then I'd get sick of being always in front of the computer and I'd go back to nannying kind of full time and I really enjoyed like being a part of a family taking care of kids I'd always nannied since I was like quite a young teenager so we were doing that and flatting with friends I think you call it house sharing here or I don't know (laughs) in New Zealand we call it flatting and I guess we partied lots we went to lots of live music gigs and yeah we traveled a bit as well and cooked a lot and ate a lot food has always been like such a big part of my life so yeah we just ate lots party lots drank lots (laughs) all the good stuff good times for sure yeah yeah and (laughs) at what point did you start thinking that it might be time to have a family? Yeah, well, I think naturally we kind of just started to slow down a bit. We weren't, you know, going out as much. And I guess one day we had sort of like the conversation of like that we would like to have kids. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, yeah, maybe like a year away. I could do another year. And then (laughs) I was working um, at Loving Earth at the time, which is like an organic chocolate company and had made really good friends with my boss, Martha, and we were house sitting her place. And I guess once you've had, once you have that conversation about having kids, it's kind of in your mind and yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) we were looking after her place and had had a few beers each and then next minute we had made a baby um and she Thanks, loved Martha. that she's <laughs> in my boss's bed and she loves oh it she's, she's like <laughs> she's like I told you the house was magical oh my yeah goodness. so we always we always crack up about that story and she loves it <laughs> yeah I think like we were like okay well we could be pregnant and so I was taking tests and yeah I took one on a Friday because we had tickets to see a gig that weekend and I was like you know I don't want to drink if I'm pregnant and it was negative and then of course like I went out all weekend had a wild night 
And then on the Monday at work, I was like, oh my God, my boobs are sore. Oh my God, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Took a pregnancy test on the Tuesday morning and Tom was asleep and I just felt like it was an out of body experience. looking at the pregnancy test yeah and then we were having a baby (laughs) my gosh what was it like telling Tom I felt like I hovered into the room and he was asleep (laughs) and I was kind of like hovering over him and I was like I'm pregnant and like you like what Yeah, so it just felt like surreal, I guess. (laughs) Oh, magic, my gosh. Mm -hmm. And did you have a few people in your community that were having children or were you feeling like you were one of the first to kind of take that journey? Yeah, we were one of the first. Two of our best friends, Tom's cousin and his wife, were having a baby as well. They'd had a baby and so we kind of felt like, yeah, you know, we, we were all kind of moving into that next stage. Well, some of us in our group of friends anyway, but um, yeah, they lived on the other side of Melbourne. So yeah, it just felt hard seeing them. But yeah, we were, we really were some of the first, I guess. And how are you feeling throughout the pregnancy? How are you feeling physically? Pretty good. Like I was just in love with my pregnant belly mm-hmm. and... <laughs> I was I'm I'm like a obsessive researcher when I find something that I am really interested in so I was just learning as much as I could about you know pregnancy and like I knew I really wanted to breastfeed so I went to some extra breastfeeding classes did a calm birth course and then yeah I was I, I think towards the end I, w- I was really active but towards the end of my pregnancy I got pretty sore and yeah I was really waddling around and but I saw an amazing osteo and they helped me heaps and yeah so I was feeling pretty good like I didn't have a, a like super hard pregnancy or anything and you know first time around <laughs> you can go home and nap because you have no child which is I guess I didn't really know it at the time but it really helped being able to rest my boss at work she is you know a big believer in resting when you need to rest and you know they didn't expect you to be there when you weren't feeling great so yeah she really allowed me space to kind of do what I needed to do to you know get through my pregnancy which was amazing yeah I think that's so important right I think we often talk about rallying around a family after birth but my gosh there are so many things that we can be doing to be supporting pregnant people as well my gosh, it's mm. such a huge transformation. It's big work. Oh my gosh. And it's like when you fall pregnant, like you're sitting at work thinking about the fact that you're pregnant half the day anyway, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it just seems ridiculous that we hide that, you know? Like we should be able to talk about that and how we're feeling a bit more. Mm. And you mentioned that you were preparing a little bit for the birth. Were you preparing for Mm. postpartum during pregnancy as well? Uh, I guess I did in some ways. Like uh, food was really important to me at that time. Like I was cooking a lot and creating a lot of recipes and things for my work. So um, I'd also been studying health coaching and nutrition. So I was just really honed in on that part of uh, preparing for postpartum. Like we bought a chest freezer and I just completely filled it. I think I made like over a hundred bliss balls for myself and just meal after meal after meal. I asked people to bring me meals. Yeah. So that part of it was prepared for, but not much else. <laughs> much else at all yeah so many of us talk about preparing for postpartum and we talk about stocking the freezer and that's where it kind of ends right Mm, yeah I I never really pictured what life looked like on the other side of this and I think you know when we went to the calm birth course I found it really beneficial in the way that I could picture myself in birth doing the thing but I feel like there was no preparation or I, I think it would be so amazing to have a course that you know we could really imagine yourself doing this postpartum thing and like tools and techniques for actually getting through the sleeplessness and what to do when you're feeling isolated. And I just, you know, there's, there was nothing like that at the time. I think there's more sort of stuff slowly building, but yeah, yeah, nothing like that. So true. How are you feeling emotionally at that time? Feeling pretty good. Actually, I had done a, like a lot of work on myself in the years leading up to that. 
A year before I fell pregnant, I really spent a year, like I had said, this is the year I'm going to say no to things because I think I'd been doing a lot before that and saying yes and, you know, was a pretty go, go, go before then. A lot of that is to do with when I get excited with things, especially in my career, I just like can't stop. (laughs) But yeah, I spent like a year before that just saying no to things and I really slowed down. So in pregnancy, yeah, I really, I felt so in tune with myself. I really knew what kind of birth I wanted. I was just really going for it. Yeah, I felt pretty solid in myself actually, which was a really nice way going into pregnancy. But yes, as you will hear, that all sort of crumpled once I had my baby. Yeah. Let's go there. We were talking before we started recording about birth. We have similar birth experiences. It seems like we really believe in the magic of birth. Talk to me about your reflections on birth and then we'll go to postpartum. Yeah, well, I had amazing births and I think I felt really lucky at the time. I had nannied for a woman who was a gynecologist, obstetrician. I instantly called her when I was pregnant. She said to me, go and try and get into the maternity group practice you know, it's the perfect care for you if you've got a low-risk pregnancy. So I think I was only about five weeks then. So I was able to get into the program. Well, my midwife at the time, actually, I didn't really trust her and I could tell that she wasn't fully there herself. And it's sad for her, but lucky for me, she actually didn't end up being at my birth. She had to take some time off. Luckily, I had an amazing midwife that was on call for me and she knew what I wanted. I wasn't supposed to have a water birth, but she had said to me, you know, I'm sure we can make this water birth happen. So I kind of, I knew that she was on my side for this and she was going to let me do it. My first birth was pretty long, but I guess in my mind, I thought it might be like 45 hours or something. Like, you know, I'd had a few friends that had really long births in my mind. Like I was like, yeah, I was like prepared for that. Yeah. I labored at home for most the time and used a lot of water and then yeah birthed my baby in the birth hall and yeah I was laughing when he came out (laughs) it was a really wonderful birth I loved it like I just couldn't believe it and yeah he was like wiggling his head once it had come out and he was still inside me and I was laughing and it was yeah it was it was so wonderful I loved it oh um, it gives me goosebumps (laughs) (laughs) And talk to me about those first few moments with Jimmy. Yeah, so he came up onto my chest and uh, I was talking to him and he looked straight in my eyes and then Tom was talking as well and he just turned his head and looked straight in Tom's eyes as well, which was, was just like this moment of like, whoa, like, you know, those first connections that he was making with us. And, yeah, we kind of just sat there in the pool for a while and, yeah, he cried. And eventually I got out and birthed my placenta just, I think it was like on a toilet. And so that happened pretty quickly. And then we kind of waddled down the hallway into our room and yeah, he latched on and fed really beautifully. Um, And we just had skin to skin and I was just in love. (laughs) So magic. Yeah. And unfortunately I'd been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which was a pain in the ass really. Like I had actually turned down the test during pregnancy and they had asked me just to do one fasting test. I don't really cope very well with blood tests. And also at the time I just felt like it was something I didn't need to do. I I don't know. I just had this trust in my body that it was going to be okay. Drinking all that sugar stuff at the time just felt so wrong so yeah I had declined that but the um, midwife had said if it had been a few months prior I wouldn't have been diagnosed but they had changed the diagnosis levels at that point so yeah it was just unfortunate and it meant we had to stay in the hospital for longer we had to do the heel prick tests and things yeah so that was the only kind of negative part of my birth but really it was just so wonderful talk to me about those first days and weeks how are you tracking well so we got home I guess we had that new parent thing where we kind of lay our baby down and we were like what do we do like sit here and watch him like we I don't know do you want some food? Like everything felt so strange and weird and new. <laughs> As babies do, like he just didn't really want to sleep at his bassinet and just basically slept on us the first few days, which was really difficult. You know, I was falling asleep with him on my chest 
which yeah is dangerous and I hadn't really learned how to safely co-sleep but of course we ended up doing that to get through the long nights and yeah feeding was going pretty well to begin with but slowly but surely over the first few weeks things went downhill and I started getting nipple damage he wouldn't sleep on his back so we had to sleep him on his tummy to get any sleep which I think we're so scared by everyone telling us about SIDS stuff we were like you know lying to our maternity health nurse about where he was sleeping and stuff which I just think is like we shouldn't be put in that position as new parents like we should be able to honestly speak to our support health nurses and things because yeah I mean there are safe ways to co-sleep and things yeah so I think from that point like things were kind of I felt so strong and like in touch with my intuition in my pregnancy but I think you know once you have your first baby it's like all of a sudden you start listening to everyone else um, and everyone else's opinions and things and and so slowly things were starting to kind of unravel inside me started listening to everyone else, I guess. Feeding was getting sort of worse and worse. He was having a hard time latching and I was having different lactation consultants coming to check him out and everything. And everyone was saying he was fine, but clearly things weren't fine. Um, Yeah. I was expressing at the time and topping him up with express milk. And I remember this one night, my mother-in-law was over from New Zealand and I was in the bedroom trying to pump and I was just so completely in us exhausted and I was trying to pump I could hear my baby crying in the lounge with my husband and my mother-in-law and I was trying to pump and nothing was coming out and I was just sitting there crying and pumping and nothing was happening and it was just such a horrible horrible feeling like I felt like I was failing and I was so desperate to breastfeed but I just couldn't find the support that I needed and I can still feel it in my body when I talk about that like that feeling of just I guess I was just so felt so unsupported I felt so alone and trying to do what I really wanted to do and eventually they came in and said you know I think we need to give him a bottle of formula and I just cried and cried and cried and you know, like I have nothing against getting to that point and feeding baby formula because it's no. what you need to do. But I guess I'd worked so hard to get a few weeks in with breastfeeding and he drank the bottle and he loved it and he was happy. And I just, yeah, I felt so alone in that moment, which was pretty heartbreaking. And breastfeeding mm. is a natural and beautiful thing, but breastfeeding is really fucking hard. We need to talk a little bit more about all of the wraparound supports that you need to breastfeed successfully, because I think so many of us get to the other side and are finding it challenging or wobbly, and we just feel like it's our fault, and it's not our fault. Gosh, yeah, 100%. It takes at least six weeks to really establish your supply, so it's a continued effort, you know, like things can be going well and then they can kind of you know, get worse and then get better and then get worse, get better. And I just don't think we're prepared for that, you know, and you really need other people supporting you to get through the the hard times because it isn't a smooth kind of upward journey necessarily. And I think, you know, like finding support before you have your baby, if it's really important to you, which it was for me, you know, like finding lactation consultants or just even talking to friends that you can call or text in the middle of the night or when you're at home by yourself during those days and baby's not latching and and someone that you can just talk through or even you know FaceTime and go sort of say can you just watch what I'm doing and like give me some pointers or how do I change different positions like have, what what worked for you finding that your people that are going to support you through that because goddamn doing it on your own is just it's too hard it's not how we're supposed to do it no we were never meant to do this alone right and I think you're so on the money that's such a good tip that idea of facetiming someone because I distinctly Mm -hmm. remember being like I've seen people breastfeed like I've been in the same room as someone breastfeeding or chest feeding but I've never actually watched someone do it like that latch mm. is such mm. a learned skill for sure and it's it's something that your baby's learning and you're learning at the same time it's not like one of you knows how to do it so like you're both learning so it's never going to go like super smooth 
it's continued effort and you know like especially in those long nights you know you really have to be wide awake when you're feeling so exhausted and like you actually really have to be looking at what you're doing and it's not just like bang the baby on and you know away you go listen to the podcast or whatever and it's such a physical thing as well like your body has to so hard to do it you know not like First of all, you're making milk 24 hours a day, but also just being in that one position and like leaning over and looking down constantly like that. It's so hard on your body. Oh my gosh. Yes. Mm. You spoke about things starting to unravel. Talk to me about what that looked like for you. Well, I think, yeah, feeding wasn't going well and we were getting close to three months at that stage. You know, I was feeding him off my boob. I was topping him up and pumping. So like they call that triple feeding. So that was feeling kind of, uh, yeah, that was too much. And then it kind of hit that three month point where your baby's sleep changes. Some people call it a regression. Some people call it progression. Either way, it's been like branded so badly and it gives us so much anxiety. Yeah. And yeah, so it kind of coincided with that. Feeding still wasn't going quite right. Well, it was getting worse and worse. And then Mm. sleep had gone out the window. Like any bit of sleep we were getting, it just like evaporated. So yeah, I went away on holiday down to lawn with my, my mom and her twin sister and my dad. And it was just like trying to get my baby to sleep you know he was one of those babies that had to rock to sleep and then he'd sleep for 25 30 minutes and then he'd be awake and then I have to rock him again so my body was just an agony yeah so I was just kind of doing what I thought I had to do I didn't really realize that this wasn't necessarily how it had to be I didn't know that there was any help I could get and I remember we drove back to Melbourne and he screamed the whole way and I got home and I was just in absolute tears like I just felt I felt like everything was just as bad as it could get like I it just felt horrible like I hated it I loved my baby so much but it was just it was a horrible horrible time like I just couldn't imagine continuing doing that like Mm. it felt felt never ending and you know how it does in that early postpartum time you can't really imagine things ever kind of changing and one night not long after that I I was lying in bed and you know you hear your baby kind of like like, well, mine's always sound like baby dinosaurs next to me. <laughs> You're like always aware of them. And I was lying there and I was just paralyzed. I couldn't move. And all the fears of like having a baby and like, you know, is he breathing? Oh my gosh. You know, like he's not feeding all the fears that I could think of were like flowing through my head and I'm like, it was unstoppable and I was absolutely frozen in bed and I couldn't move. And it was so scary. And I was telling a friend about it a few days later and she said, yeah, that, that sounds like a panic attack. Like, have you thought that maybe you have anxiety? And I thought, shit, like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. Oh my God. Like I've never really suffered from anxiety before, which I mean, maybe I had, I just didn't know how to recognize it. Yeah. So I went and saw my doctor and went to a psychologist, which sort of helped me sort of set up kind of getting through this. Like at that point, you know, like I would be trying to get my baby to sleep during the day. My husband was at work, you know, he, he left at like six, six thirty in the morning, wasn't home till six. So I was on my own a lot of the time. And, you know, like in those early days, especially when you're one of the first to have kids out of your friends, people were at work all week, you know, so didn't really have people to call during the week apart from like my mum and like Tom would be at work and I would call him like, and I would be beside myself. Like I could barely speak in the phone and he would be like, is Jimmy okay? Is Jimmy okay? And I'd be like, yes, I'd be able to get that out. And And then I would just like be crying and crying and crying on the phone. And, you know, like I think he didn't really know what to do either. You know, like this was so new for both of us. And I guess, yeah, we both just felt like, yeah, we were kind of in a living hell at that point. And I was finding it really hard because of the sleep, like sleeplessness. And he slept so little. And I think I was listening to a lot of what other people were saying about how much sleep a baby needs. And, you know, if they're not sleeping a certain amount of time, then, you know, it's not good for their development and all that kind of stuff was always going through my head. So like even just leaving the house was really difficult. I remember this one time my mum was over staying with me 
and we were trying to go to series which is like a community garden down the road and I got to the front lawn and I just like froze and I couldn't move I was like I, I just don't think we should go like we're going to get there and he needs to sleep and blah 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 all the all these thoughts were going through my head and I was I just couldn't leave the front yard like we had to go back inside and and yeah, a, a lot of that was like, I couldn't, I guess I was isolated from my, like, because of my anxiety, I couldn't leave the house often because of trying to get the sleep that wasn't really happening at the time. And home becomes a nest, I think, at that point. It's the yeah. one thing that you can control. Okay, we're in our four walls. Things will be yeah. okay here. And yeah. it's that awful mm. double-edged sword because as soon as you're out, mm. it can really help that haze lift. But holy heck, getting out is hard. Very difficult sometimes. <laughs> I also found myself at that point just like furious, like furious with how my life looked at that point. And I and I remember this one time, like Jimmy was asleep and I just was walking down the hallways and I was like just kicking his toys as hard as I can, like down the hallway, like into the walls. And I was like really shocked at myself at that point. Yeah, it was like everything was kind of coming out sideways, you know. I like had no other way of expressing how I was feeling and I was just like, yeah, really angry as well. I just I didn't see a way out or through what was going on and that was something that just like kind of stopped me in my tracks when I was just like kicking these damn toys everywhere. And I knew something had to change at that point. Yeah. Talk to me about what changed or what helped lift the haze. There were a few things. I mean, we we found out Jimmy had a tongue and lip tie. So we had that lasered and feeding became a lot easier. And we eventually got back to exclusive breastfeeding, which was wonderful. Like that for me was... Yeah, it felt really joyous to be able to get back to just doing that. And it simplified feeding. But also I saw a psychologist, which was such a relief. I think even just carving out an hour to be out of the house, which seemed like a luxury at that point. At first, I couldn't imagine even making the time to get out of the house to do that. But once I did, you know, like Tom would come home early from work in the evening so I could do that. I think it was more me saying what I needed and then he could meet me there. It's hard for our partners to kind of do what is going to help if we aren't allowing space for ourselves to do that either. Oh, absolutely. Mm, So I saw this wonderful psychologist and yeah, going there every week was just such great medicine for me at the time. Mm. And I think we just came up with lots of good tools to how to kind of move through those hard moments, which of course would keep coming for a long, long time, especially with Jimmy. He didn't sleep at all for so long, but I guess I just found ways to get through it. And um, one of the things I'd been doing at that point while my anxiety was really kind of playing on me was something I used to do, especially at night in the dark, was like counting hours of sleep. It was like, I was always thinking about, okay, he's had two hours now, you know, and then I would be like trying to predict how many hours I think he might have in the next block. And then if we wake up and he's awake for an hour and like, I would constantly be counting hours of sleep in my head. And it was just, it was actually driving me nuts. Like I could not deal with it anymore. And it took me a long time to realize even that that was a thing and how it was affecting me. And I was just constantly counting hours. And I felt like I was doing that all day and all night actually. Mm. And writing it down as well. I think there's like so many apps and things like that, that people use like for like recording feeds and sleep and everything. And for some people, maybe that's like, like a great thing for them but for me it was like detrimental to my mental health like it was really horrible yeah and so one tool that we kind of came up with was you know in the night when I was lying there and I started counting hours of sleep I had or hadn't had or what I might have I would start thinking about food that I'd like to cook and recipe come up with recipes because we kind of identified like something that I love to do before having kids and that was like you know daydreaming of like recipes I wanted to make and you know how I style them and photo shoot like um, do a photo (laughs) shoot for them 
So like that's that was kind of my thing. As soon as I found myself counting sleep, I would instantly try and kind of flick over to like, you know, what I might like to try and cook that weekend or something. And it really helped. And I still do it now. Like if I'm ever worrying about things, it's kind of stuck with me for five years now. It's like, yeah, if I'm worrying about whatever it is, then I just kind of start thinking about food and I find so much joy in that moment and it kind of helps to redirect my thinking. Yeah. So that was a really good little one, actually. I think oftentimes just having someone that's external to talk to can help so much but that perspective that they provided that marrying of like okay right now in the thick of it this is really hard let's also consider in before parenthood and bringing some of the things Mm. that lit your fire into your Mm. um, response strategy that's excellent yeah yeah it was really good it was one of the greatest things that I learned through that hard time and like the fact that it stuck with me till now it was a really important one yeah and then also things like if I was I found like after a while like I really felt like being in the dark rocking a baby to sleep was like so horrific my body just was like in such pain and I just used to spiral massively you know when you're rocking a baby over your shoulder for like half an hour 45 minutes an hour like and you're in so much pain like my head was in such a bad place in those moments and doing things like singing to him at that point Mm -hmm. because it wasn't really like a way that I had soothed soothed him in the past but I used to love singing as a kid and that was something we kind of identified and so I would sing to him and just like talking to myself in a different way I had to kind of recognize how I was feeling in that moment and then kind of soothing myself and like talking to myself like how I would talk to someone else you know if they had reached out to me and said you know how bad they were feeling and then yeah flipping that back on myself just learning to soothe myself in those moments yeah so that really helped me get through those tricky times as well oh my gosh um such amazing strategies you spoke about the noise the constant noise that comes with parenthood the endless advice unsolicited or otherwise how Mm. did you find a way to tune that out I mean I didn't for a long time I guess I think I just got to a point really, I mean, with my first baby, unfortunately, we were driven to sleep training, which I haven't done the second time around and it's been so nice not to, but yeah, we were in such a terrible place with sleep. We ended up at sleep school three times, which of course did not work for us. Um, (laughs) And really it just kind of, yeah, it was really horrific experience. I really didn't like it. And as my uh, husband would describe it as prison with carpet and crying babies um, (laughs) is what it felt like for us. Um, But really we got to a point after that where we were like yeah fuck this we're just gonna do it our own way and we just I guess we started listening more to ourselves in that moment like we were like hold on he's well over a year old now we know our baby you know we need to listen to him and like figure out what's going to work for him and work for us you know and standing outside a door and listening to your baby cry and counting more minutes I had really learned was not something that helped my mental health at all so we just did things our own way and just yeah put a mattress on the floor next to his cot and yeah just were with him and kind of move through those hard times yeah physically with him which helped me a lot like being separated from my baby and trying to get him to sleep was just, yeah, not the way forward. And really it was just, I realized that like a lack of community is what left me in that position. And I think I had started building deeper relationships. And I think, you know, when you have your first baby, it's almost like dating. It's like (laughs) finding new parents. Like I hadn't made lots of new friends in the years before that. Like, yeah, some here and there, like I've always been the kind of person that makes (laughs) new friends quite easily, but hadn't for a long time. I was lucky enough that my mother's group 
was really successful. Like only one person dropped out and we all kind of stuck together and invited each other around. Like we went from house to house and after a while that turned to gin and tonics on a Friday. Yes. (laughs) But I decided early on that on on our WhatsApp group that I was just going to be really vulnerable. Like someone had just put it together and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to say how it is for me, you know? And I just wrote this super long message about like how fucked up it was (laughs) at our house, like that we weren't sleeping, you know, that I was feeling terrible and everything. And I think it just opened up the door for other people to be vulnerable in that group. And, and they did really. Yeah. So I managed to make some really beautiful friends through that parents group. Yeah. And I think that was my first real lesson in really opening up through this parenting journey, you know, like if you, it feels really hard. I mean, I know for me, I've practiced it a lot now, so it feels really natural to, you know, be super open and honest about parenting. But to begin with, it wasn't for sure. You know, I felt like I was doing something wrong. It's like the more vulnerable you can be with other parents or, you know, not necessarily other parents as well. Like I think it depends who you can find. One of my best friends, she hasn't, she's not a mother, but she is a mother, you know, she is the kind of mothering kind of person and like, I mean, just being vulnerable with her about how I was feeling is, yeah, deepened our relationship so much. You know, she's really like part of my family. And yeah, I think that's just such a huge lesson to learn in becoming a parent is learning to be vulnerable as well. Absolutely. It's so, so darn important. And I think so many of us go into parenthood you know, thinking like, oh, like my partner and I, if you have a partner, are a solid unit and we'll be able to navigate it ourselves. But I think so Mm -hmm. often we forget that our partner is also navigating this huge transition as well. And they can't Mm -hmm. actually be your only support. You each need a whole community holding you the whole time as well. Totally. I mean, a partner as supportive as they as they are, like if they are doing, you know, all the things that they need to do around the house and listening to you and, you know, taking care of the baby, that like if they are doing all those things, it's still nowhere near enough. Like no. one person cannot make a community or a village. Gosh, you know? no. And I think during my first postpartum, like my husband really was that for me, like, Mm. and my mum. But I mean, it was like, it was nowhere near enough. And yeah, I think we have to kind of build relationships and each relationship will serve a different purpose in your life. Yeah, I think as you move through the huge transition into becoming a parent, you know, like relationships change and merge. And I think we kind of expect our friends to be everything for us as well. You know, yeah. like that they need to listen to us and like that our kids need to be friends and everything. But actually, I think for me, I've really like identified like different people can be different things for me. You know, like some people are the kind of friends that our our kids just get along really well and we can hang out and like talk about being parents basically. And then there's other friends that you can talk about like much deeper things and they're not so much there for taking an interest in your kids, for example. Like I think there's all different kinds of relationships and we kind of need to search out all of those different kinds of relationships to serve us. Also in thinking about how you are friends with someone else, you know, like you don't have to be everything for them either. Mm, It's such a huge transition. It's massive. And I think, I mean, I think the transition goes on forever, right? Totally. I have to remind myself that every single day postpartum is forever it really is because our kids are growing up and changing and learning we're learning new things with them along the way like that's never gonna stop oh absolutely a whole lifetime of loving and learning one another yeah it's so exciting I love it I really am enjoying at the moment my five-year-old is really like at this stage where he really wants to sit down and like do creative stuff with me (laughs) and like he he can really tell me what he wants to make and I can assist him. And I remember being like that as a child. And it's just <laughs> yeah. so beautiful, like that we can come together and see that in each other. It's 
so great. Oh my gosh, it's so magic to watch them evolve into their own little beings and see that personality flourish, right? Yeah. Like my kids love cooking and I know that's like a nightmare for some people, but um, <laughs> it's been really good. It's been really cool. Like my son has always, always cooked with me and my my nearly two-year-old, he's doing much the same. But as I've moved into postpartum doula work, it's like I'm cooking even more than I used to cook now. But my son really sees, he's always asking about like, who's the family that I'm taking food to? And oh. um, he like writes lists and he's like, mom, we need to have milk for the baby. We need to have soup for <laughs> Um, and like it's cool because he's learning like that community building like skills now like he's understanding like the kind of support that a new family needs and it's so beautiful like oh I love it oh my gosh what a gift that understanding of community care my gosh (laughs) and yeah they're always in the car with me when we're like dropping off a food package to someone's doorstep or whatever (laughs) I really hope that that kind of stays with them for their life. If I can teach them one thing, it's like how to build and nurture community. Yeah, it's such an important skill. Mm. Talk to me about the decision to extend on your family. At what point did you feel ready to do that? It took many conversations and often we would bring up the topic and both of us would look at each other and say, uh, no, we can't talk about this. <laughs> Let's talk about it in another few months. And and really, like, we would both feel it in our bodies, like that, like, sleeplessness. And, like, it was like we could feel that terror in our bodies, like the thought of having another baby that didn't sleep and we'd have to be up all night and stuff. Like, it was really uh, not a fun thing to think about. And eventually we got there and we were kind of like, yep, we're going to just, you know, pull up our socks and get it done. <laughs> just really. kind of at the point that we got to which is I wish it hadn't been like that but we really did want two babies and I remember thinking like a few months into having our second I was like shit have we done the right thing like again when I kind of met that sleeplessness and kind of started to see those same kind of patterns in myself but of course I'd learned the skills to kind of move through that in a better way yeah but it did take us a long time to think about having another baby and so the age gap is just over three years which which has been nice actually talk to me about navigating that emotional change did you experience that feeling of like how how will we have space to hold and love another baby how can we fit another baby into this family what will this do to the to the relationship between the three of you did you experience that yeah I mean I definitely had that I don't know how I could love another baby as much as I love my little boy Jimmy so yeah and I think most parents kind of have that feeling as you're about to have their second one like it was quite scary trying to imagine and it was a bit sad you know like thinking about that change in dynamic like we were so so close and I think at that point we had finally found a home that we had bought and we were feeling just kind of like nested a bit better this time like the house we were living in before you know we were renting and we had got into it when it like I was pretty pregnant (laughs) so we kind of just like were in there and it was like a relief to leave actually felt like uh yeah a bit of a prison so this house the second time we were pregnant really felt like a home and we had built like a bit of a community around us by that stage we had some really good friends who lived a walkable distance down the road and we had pretty shared values around I guess life you know, like the kind of people that we were. We didn't have to put on a show about who we were, (laughs) which I think is the main thing. Yeah, our relationships were kind of deepening with other parents at that stage. So that really felt like, you know, we've got other people that are doing this hard damn thing at the same time and they're all around us. I knew that I would have people turning up and putting food on my doorstep and things like this, this postpartum. So that was the thing that kind of pulled me through. I was like, it's not going to be the same the second time around. And I really kind of thought we kind of prepared ourselves that for like the absolute worst. So I guess things were always going to be easier than what we were prepared for. Yeah. And then we got pregnant with Jack pretty easily again. And yeah. And then all of a sudden we were going to be a family of four. Ah. (laughs) 
Talk to me about family of four life. I don't know. I've been talking about it a lot lately, actually. And to people that I know that just have one child that are still kind of, yeah, in that earlier kind of stage, always say to me, I don't know how you do it with who I don't know how you do it. Like with two, I just don't know. And I'm, (laughs) I'm, it's part of me that, yeah, it is more hectic. There's way more washing. There's another mouth (laughs) to feed. Like you're kind of having to manage two kids that are in very different stages. But I feel felt less isolated and something nice about being at home with two kids rather than one I found like one was just like you and your own head and a baby that needed me whereas the second time around it was kind of like I don't know it felt like more of a party I guess (laughs) and even now like while there's a lot of fighting and um, arguments (laughs) between my two it's just feels like there's more going on it doesn't feel as lonely yeah and that's just when it's the three of us at home during the week sometimes like even just that it doesn't feel as isolated (laughs) inside our house yeah what surprised you about parenthood I think parenthood, well, it's what's helped me to find the community and connection that I've always been searching for my whole life. I never knew that that's what I would find on the other side of this. You know, like kids are amazing. I love my kids and I love having them, but it's so bloody hard. But the thing that makes it is enjoyable is like sharing that with other people. And I mean, I think I've always shared a lot on social media. That might be to do with the fact that I used to work in social media, but Initially, before I had made those deeper connections, I was always sharing through social media about, you know, what was going on in our house and like how messy it was and like (laughs) the weird shit that my kids were doing. But yeah, over time, like that connection has happened more and more outside of social media and those connections with people just are like the most important thing to me. You know, I'm always trying to connect with people and, you know, like that might be people that I don't even know, people at the park or a cafe or whatever. Yeah. I feel like when I see someone with a kid, it's like, I feel like you share something instantly and to be able to like connect with someone and, you know, be able to say, you know, what you really think. I mean, I think I probably say more than most people. (laughs) I don't really hold it back when it comes to like being like, Oh, I got no sleep or like my kids being a dick. Like (laughs) (laughs) They've both been little assholes today. (laughs) But I, I mean, of course I love them so much, but really like <laughs> I don't hold much back. And I think that is what helps me become closer with people through this journey. And it's hard. Like we're not taught growing up to be <laughs> super honest about how we're feeling. Like you really have to push yourself to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And that when it feels hard, it's not hard because you're shit at it. It's hard because it's really freaking hard. <laughs> and when you are open and honest with someone, you know, you're just opening the door for them to be open and honest back. And it's that is such a beautiful thing. Like the people that I've met in the last year or so that have just come to me as they are, I just see that as such a beautiful thing. And I just like, I leap forward towards that. And you know, like when you go around to someone's house and they haven't like tidied up, I love seeing washing everywhere not the fact that I like I know my mates have to do their washing or whatever it's like you are just letting me into your life as it is what I want to see and it means like when you come around to my house I'm not going to be like sweeping up the kitchen or doing the dishes tiring myself out before you get there come on in like I've got a friend that like whenever they're over it's like they do the dishes for me or they just like start folding washing and to be able to do that for someone you don't even have to ask it's like just do the damn thing and it allows other people to do the damn thing for other people as well yes absolutely let's talk about your work and how people can connect in with you em well i trained as a full spectrum doula but i am focusing on postpartum care at the moment i think one day when my kids are older i'll begin doing some birth work i think that's i mean it's where i struggled the most for sure so it's how i want to help people and i think you know like i think if you've been a parent and you've struggled through postpartum, 
you can care for people whether you're a postpartum doula or not. You know what people need in that moment when they're sitting at home and, you know, like they've just had a baby. Like you know how to care for them. If you want to show up for people, you really can. It's like when your kid comes running to you with like they've fallen over and hurt their knee or whatever, you instinctively know how to take care of them in that moment. I think once you've moved through parenthood, like you know what people need because you've needed that as well. Caring for people in postpartum just comes really naturally to me. I love cooking for people. It's such a big part of my offering, like creating really nourishing food and also really yummy food. Like if someone wants me to bake them a cake or whatever as well, I'll totally do that. And yeah, just just talking with people in those early stages and actually through any part of postpartum, which is obviously forever, I will work with people at any stage of their parenting journey. I just want to support people when they're feeling isolated. I don't want people to feel like I felt in my first postpartums. I really feel like we could change the world. Well, definitely Australia, if every family had access to meaningful care and support in this season. My gosh, could you imagine what our communities would look like? So important. It would be so different. Yeah, because like having meaningful care in postpartum sets you up on a different track for like the rest of your life, you know, the way you're cared for in that time, it's like, it allows you to care for your kids in a different way. It allows you to care for yourself in a different way. And that just like sets up the imprint for like you, you and your family's life, you know? Absolutely. I know that every family is so different. I'm really open to like whatever people need. So I'm really flexible in that sense. But yeah, I have a website, emilythedoula.com.au. I mainly hang out on Instagram, which is at emily.the.doula. Yeah, but I, I share like lots of, I guess, my family life out with my kids and cooking and just what I guess I'm up to when I'm hanging out at my house. <laughs> mm, so divine. I love the snippets that you share on social media. How do you think that your childhood shaped your parenthood journey? Well, I guess I was a twin. I am a twin. So I always had, you know, my best friend with me all the time, but I have a brother who was living with us and my mum and dad, but we also had my grandparents who lived with us as well. So they had an apartment on top of our house. And so we always had them there, you know, like whenever we were sick from school or whatever, we would be up in their place or, you know, if our parents weren't going out, they could just like call up to them and, you know, one of us will go up there or, you know, all of us or whatever. And when my mum had us, she suffered badly with postnatal depression. And so, you know, like we talk about how difficult like going through postpartum is. And, you know, often my dad will be like, well, we had twins, you know, and my mum would be like, yeah, but we had, you know, my parents living upstairs. So that kind of pulled us through. And it's like, you know, that was really normal for us then. But I mean, as much as I could imagine, like, especially Tom's parents, like, I'm sure they would live with us <laughs> if we asked them. But yeah, it was kind of normal, like quite a normal thing back then. But now it's like you would never really imagine having your in-laws living with you. But yeah, I guess that would be, for me, that's like, I guess that was normalized to me as a child. So having other people around is really important to me. And I think that's part of like why I always crave community and trying to create that kind of uh, safety net of people that I can kind of fall back on for whatever reason as we move through the season of parenting. Yeah. It feels like we've moved so far away, right, from this idea of village life or doing this together like we talk about it you know we need a village to raise a baby but my gosh we need a village to raise a fam right totally totally I mean babies are well taken care of by us and you know they are always fine but the parents are the ones that <laughs> you need to be taking care of that baby and we need to be taken care of as well like we go and see families and we say how is the baby but I remember those times where people would ask how is you and my gosh it feels like mm. the first time you've actually been seen oh my gosh yeah I remember this one time when my first baby was I think he was only a few 
weeks old and of course we turned up at the GP because I don't know he was probably like making a funny sound or something (laughs) and I was sitting in the waiting room and I remember this mum looked over at me and she was like how's it going and I was like "Uh," (laughs) you know like some sort of stock standard (laughs) answer at that point and she was like it's bloody hard isn't it it's so bloody hard you're doing wonderfully and I just like I'll never forget it. And I just remember how I felt. I was like, oh my God, someone has seen in me like how hard this is. And yeah. So I always make a point of like really trying to connect with mothers, any parents really, when they are with their kids and I can see that they're, well, even if I can't see that they're having a hard time, I know we're all having a hard time in some ways. So I always try and, you know, reach out or just say this little nice something that kind of makes them feel seen. I think it's so important and it's so small, you know, like we can create that sense of community in the smallest of ways, you know, like I think people think you need to have a lot of time. You know, sometimes it is just a couple of minutes, like even talking to a friend on the phone for five minutes, you've just got to be intentional about it. You just have to make it a priority because we spend so much time, you know, and wasting time on social media and stuff like that. But if it's a priority for us to connect and uh, create that community, then you for sure can like create that. Yeah, all of these tiny acts of love, right? Mm -hmm. It's been a pretty wild 18 months and you mentioned that you're really close with your family in New Zealand. Talk to me about connecting in with them. Well, FaceTime is a beautiful thing. know how people did it without that we were in lockdown for so long here and our family was all in New Zealand so we spoke to them a lot on FaceTime and yeah we always have and I will always call because we're lucky that New Zealand's two hours ahead of us so when we wake up at you know 5 30 quarter to six or whatever it is we can call our family at that point when me and the kids are still in bed and I'll just call them up at those points and just like chat to them and the kids can like wander around or so that's helped and like during lockdown Tom's parents his mum would read books to Jimmy on FaceTime and stuff. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, and my, my twin sisters had a baby like during lockdown. Yeah, we spoke on the phone all the time, like every day. And it sucks so bad not being there. Like I never imagined like her having a baby and not meeting her for so long, which was so difficult. All I wanted to do was be there and cook for her and take care of her. But yeah, I think a lot of the time it's just having someone that you can talk to and like someone you can message when times are shit we're not always going to be able to be there for each other physically but just knowing that there's someone there that you can talk to about you know anything to do with this whole (laughs) wild ride (laughs) yeah the wildest (laughs) the wildest the most magical all-consuming ride (laughs) Uh uh-huh oh um it has been such a delight chatting with you today thank you so much for sharing your journey so far with us it's been such an honor oh it's been such a pleasure so nice to talk to you it is such a joy to share these stories with you each week if you're enjoying the show be sure to subscribe leave a review or share it with someone in your very own kin you can see all of the gorgeous images of the families that join me each week and get the latest news from kin on instagram at kin by charlotte I can't wait to chat with you next week. Mm